Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. If you can imagine, I'm 18 years old, um, so that was about two or three years ago. And so about two or three years ago, I'm 18, and um, that it, more or less, more or less, two or three years ago. And um, my dad works on the Rockerby Ranch. I live out there and everything. And you know, you you kind of get to when your daddy works on the place, you get to go help. You're usually the swamper. You you ride drag. You know, you get to you get to be the one on the windmill crew that has to bust the pipe whenever the bottom check is holding, and you get wet during the during the uh, winter and and cold and everything like that. But I, I finally just said, you know what? I'm gonna go to college. I went to Texas Tech University. That is why we had to hide the Texas Longhorn sign behind here. That's why I put this old banner up right there, because we can't have no Texas Longhorn looking at us in the church service. That's blasphemous. Uh, it's for you, Carmen and Mike. And uh, Anyway, I, I went to Tech, and, and I made it there about three semesters, and I just felt this urge that, man, sitting in a classroom just wasn't for me at that time. I mean, I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm going to go. I, I changed majors nine times in three semesters, you know, about every other class. I was, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm a, I'm a, now I'm going to be a wildlife biologist. Now I'm going to be animal science. Now I'm going to be animal husbandry and just all of this stuff. And just in my gut, man, there was just this deal. What I really wanted to do is I wanted to know what it felt like. I wanted to experience true cowboy way of life and, and and nothing against my dad and the rocker b at that time man i learned a great deal it, it was a great time in my life but i wanted to get away from dad you know I, I wanted to go work on a ranch on my own i didn't want to be paul's boy you know oh that's old paul's boy over there man he's a pretty good hand he helps out he does some stupid stuff every now and then but you know, I, I wanted to experience the cowboy way of life you know without your daddy sitting over there top of you making sure that you ain't gonna mess up too bad and even when you do chewing you out and everything like that i wanted to experience the cowboy way of life for myself so i'm sitting there one day and my cell phone rings and an ex-uncle of mine, he used to be married to my aunt, an ex-uncle of mine calls me up and he said, man, I knew I knew somebody in Lubbock, Texas. He said, come have breakfast with me in the morning. I said, you betcha. So I go down to the IHOP and have breakfast and he says, you want a ranch job? I was like, yeah, when do I start? I didn't even ask where it was at or no, yeah, when do I start? He said, well, it's down in South Texas, right on the border of Mexico and they need somebody down there to break horses and help them move cows. I said, done, sign me up. When do I leave? He said, well, call this number right here. And so anyway, I, I had my high school sweetheart that I, that I had at the time and I, I was planning on marrying her. Thank God that, that didn't work out. Um, and I'm seriously thanking God for that because I wouldn't have her and I probably wouldn't be standing where I am today. But anyway, I, so, I, so I called her up and I was like, hey man, you ain't gonna believe this. She's like, what's up? I said, I got me a ranch job. She said, where? I said, about 3,000 hours from here. It's in South Texas. And she goes, well, uh, I said, I've been offered a ranch job. And she said, well, you're gonna turn it down, aren't you? I said, well, why in the world would I do that? She said, well, I'm not going to wait on you if you leave. I said, well, that makes the answer pretty simple. She goes, you going to turn it down? I said, we'll see you later. And I hung up the phone. This is my high school sweetheart. I was going to marry her. But I knew that what I was supposed to do is I was supposed to go experience what a real cowboy was like. I had told her that time and time again, that it was gnawing on my bones, that I had to go out there and prove something, not to other people, but just to myself, that I could do it and I could fulfill a dream. And so I went to South Texas. And let me, I would like to, 
let you know if you have never been on a working ranch before. Now, you might have been on there, but I'm talking about being a paid cowboy on a big outfit. It's not quite as glamorous as the movies make it sound, okay? Just in case you didn't know that, these guys, we don't walk around in our spurs and our shaps all day long. You don't get up and ride horses every single day. There's a lot of stuff that you do that's behind the scenes that the movies don't show you about. Like one of my jobs on the San Pedro Ranch is I was the goat feeder. Now, that was not in the job description. Mike says, hey man, you want to go work on a ranch? I was like, yeah, what am I going to do? He said, you know, break horses and move cattle. Done. I get down there, they say, you need to go feed the goats. What? Horseback? No. And I'm not talking about getting a bucket. You know, like that offering bucket over there? I ain't talking about getting a bucket and getting some oats and going out there and pouring it in the tribe. No, we was Pudo Cowboy on the San Pedro. They gave me an axe. I said, what am I supposed to do with this axe? And they said, feed the goats. I said, you want me to feed them an axe? They said, no, you cut down the Wiesatch trees, and then you drag it all the way back, and then you let the goats in there to eat it. That's seriously what I did. Now, a Wiesatch tree is kind of has leaves kind of like a mesquite, but they're a, lot, they're a lot smaller and everything. Well, of course, the cherry picking had been done all around the ranch. So you had to walk about half a mile and find a Wiesatch tree and cut down a bunch of these big old branches and then haul them up. It wasn't quite as glamorous as I had pictured. You know, I had pictured, you know, golly, look at that real cowboy right there. I'm dragging a Wiesatch and an and a axe. It, it just wasn't that glamorous. I'll never forget there was another time. But I was experiencing the cowboy way of life, and I was getting a hard, hard lesson learned. Another time, uh, they said, hey, we got to go get some hay. Hey, we got to go get some hay. Now, you have to understand that hay is like a ninja warrior, samurai, superhero, villain against my nostrils. Hay has the magical ability to wiggle its fingers and snot projectile comes out of my nose. It is horrible. I get asthma, and I get down there, and we are in a place called El Indio, Texas. El Indio, Texas is Spanish for, oh my gosh, it's hot. It is 2 o'clock in the afternoon, July 15th, and I am in a brown enclosed trailer stacking hay, and the wind was blowing negative 5 miles an hour. There was actually a vacuum coming in the trailer. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how it happened. But they were like, hey, you get up in there and stack that hay, and we'll, we have to go out and gather it. Well, I figured out right quick that they was the smart ones, and I was the low man on the totem pole because they come running with these. I don't know how those little Mexican fellas, they were this big and this big around, and they could lift 4,000-pound bales. They just run up there and just throw it in there, and here I am, 18 years old, and I grab it like, I want to see that. No, no, I'm not. And so you would throw it up there, and then it would all come down, and that's whenever the hay would, and snot would start coming out. And I've got asthma, too. Before it was over with, I had my asthma inhaler like this. I had it duct taped like a scuba mask right here. And so whenever I'd walk back to get another one, I'd just hit my head on the side of the trailer to give me a dose of it. It was horrible. But I was experiencing the cowboy way of life, all right. There's another time that I got down there, and now I'm horseback real cowboy now. Got out there and me and Zen were talking about this little bay horse yesterday, Atrevido, and a lot of y'all probably, if you've been watching very long, you've heard this story. But I got on Atrevido and Antonio, the guy I worked with, he had the Makati and he had him dallied up and Atrevido was kind of humping up and everything as we're going out there. And I said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to teach you this horse how to whoa. I said, okay, how are we going to do it? He said, very carefully, 
So we get out there and we get along this fence line. He said, okay, you ready? I said, ready for what? He said, you just hang on. And so he shucks out about 30 feet of this makati. I'd never seen a makati that was 30 feet long, but he shucks out about 30 feet. And he said, okay, kick him. And so we start running and we're running wide open down this fence line. And then he shuts this big old sorrel horse down and dallies and goes, whoa, as we go, whoo. We hit the end of that like a bullwhip. Come here. Okay, this is a little crude. My saddle had teeth marks. My butt grew teeth. The Holy Spirit done gave me teeth in my butt cheeks. And I was holding on. I was scared to death. And I was like, I'm being a cowboy. I'm being a cowboy. I didn't know cowboys were scared to death all the time. And so anyway, he was like, hey, that was pretty good. Let's do it again. I was like, no, let's don't do it again. So he's like, kick him, kick him. So I was too stupid to know any difference. So I was like, okay. So we kick him, we kick him, and we, and then he's, Dallies again, shuts that big sorrow horse down. Me and Atrevido, we fly by, and he yells, whoa! And we hit the end of it, whew, spin around, and I don't know how we didn't fall down. He did this about three times, and if I thought that was bad, it wasn't near as bad as the fourth time, because whenever he shut that big sorrow horse down and he said, whoa, the only thing that kept me, because that horse whoaed right then. He didn't hit the end of it. This horse stopped, he yelled, whoa, and that horse just went, and the only thing that kept me on that horse was this area right here and the saddle horn. I was experiencing the cowboy way of life. And then he turns around and he's like, okay, we thought that horse had a woe. And so he gathers up this 30-foot Makati, ties it onto my saddle, and he goes, now go ride it over there. So I go to ride it over there, and there's nothing but 10 acres of prickly pear cactus, solid, with these little trails about this wide all the way through. I said, Antonio, hay mucho Nepal aquí. He said, see, I said, what happens if he starts bucking? He said, don't fall off. I'm like, seriously, this is, this is what being a cowboy is all about? And so anyway, I was like, okay, okay. And he yells, if he starts bucking, pull him into a cactus. So I said, okay. So I start going out through there and everything. Sure enough, I throw a video. He blows up and I just snatch him around to the left and he lands in one of those cactuses and he went, ow. He didn't actually say, ow, that was just sound effects. He went, ow, and he steps out, and he never bucked again there. You could go ride him there all day long. And he's like, I'm a good boy. I'm your good horse. I'm your good boys. You take him anywhere else, he'd buck you off. And then I realized that being a cowboy, you know what a herd quitter is? A herd quitter is just somebody that quits a job right in the middle of something. Well, where I came from in Texas, man, you didn't quit no matter how bad it got, no matter how hot it got, no matter how bad the flies were at the back. It didn't matter how dusty, how cold, it, nothing. But in South Texas, that does not apply. There is one reason that you can quit a herd, let them go. And it is a valid reason. And if you don't quit the herd when this happens, you will get scolded later. And that is whenever you see a rattlesnake. Those three guys from Muskis, Mexico, best cowboys I've ever been around in my entire life. If one of them, you vivora! You just quit. And it was your solemn, sworn duty to kill every snake that you've seen. And so I'm riding along, and I hear one of them yell, Vivara! And everybody goes running over there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, something just got bit. You know, somebody just got bit by a snake. So I'm like, well, they're quitting, so I guess I'll run over there. And they, you ever seen those movies where they got the cross ties, and all of them are taking turns whacking the cross tie into the deal? This one hits, and then this one hits, and then this one hits. That's what they were doing. There's this big snake about five foot long rattling. And everything, and they are taking turns whooping the snot out of this snake. One of them's got his rope, and he's whack. And then the other one, he's got a stick this long. I'm like, seriously, could you not? But we are in the middle of a pasture. Could you not find a stick that is at least 12 foot long? Because that's the kind of stick I'd be swinging. I'd be from like here to the back door, like. Argh! 
No, he's going to find the stoutest stick he can find. And it was literally, I guarantee you, that thing wasn't over 14 inches long. And he's wearing this snake out. And the other one, I don't even know what he was, because I was getting a little swoozy, because I just knew somebody was going to die right then. Cattle are going everywhere. Sure enough, they got that snake killed. They were like, I guess that's good. Let's go get all them cattle again. (laughs) So we gathered back up and took us another 20 minutes to gather them up. Now, granted, it was a rotational grazing deal. They didn't go too far, but still. But I got to experience the cowboy way of life. And you know what? It really, I'm going to be a little bit honest with you. It really wasn't what I thought it was. Now, granted, I learned so much about horsemanship and about stockmanship. And I learned about being uncomfortable. Because that not that what being a cowboy is all about? You, you know, I hear people saying all the time, Oh, man, I wish I could do that. Be a little careful what you wish for, okay? Because I really thought I was going to get down there, and when I came back, I'd be able to, you know, rope like the vaqueros could rope, and I thought I'd be able to ride like the, like the vaqueros could ride, and all of this stuff. But really what I learned how to be down there was a servant, and it's really not what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I woke up in the morning, and I had to take an axe a half a mile out into the pasture and cut down Weesatch so that the goats could eat. And then after I got through feeding the goats, I had to feed the horses. And then after I got through feeding the horses, I had to go tend to the dogs. And, and then whenever we got through tending the dogs, I had to go saddle the horses. And we went and we moved cattle so that the cattle would have good grass to eat. And it was hot and tired. And then you'd come back and it would be so hot down there that you'd spray your horses off with water and everything. And everything on that ranch, you know, I hate to say this, but it wasn't about me. It wasn't. Now, whenever I came back, I really thought that whenever I came back from that ranch that I would be about three and a half foot taller and about 220 pounds of solid cowboy. And, you know, everybody would just be like, oh, give that boy a wide berth. You know, that's a cowboy right there. No, nobody really treated me any, any different. And I thought that strange. Because all I ever wanted to do was experience the cowboy way of life. And then whenever I did experience that cowboy way of life, I thought it would fulfill me. And you know what? It fulfilled a lot of my dreams, but it didn't fulfill me here. And I found that strange. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul kind of talks about that same stuff. Now, I I don't know what version you have. I, I, I think that I got nearly every version out there and I read them all. I like the way some of them say uh, I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation right now. But in, in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, Paul says, I was so zealous that I, har- I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Paul says, I persecuted the church. And you know, whenever I was down there working on that ranch, did you know that I was persecuting the church? Believe it or not, I was actually persecuting the church because I had it in my mind that... And you know what? A lot of y'all might have said this in the past. I am not getting on anybody that said it. I am telling you that I am the chief of sinners, that I have said it more than everybody else in this world combined. I was the one that said, you know what? I don't have to be in church to feel close to God because I feel closer to God when I'm out here on this horse, in this pasture. I feel closer to God than I ever have. And I don't need just a bunch of hypocrites sitting around in church for me to worship God. I used to say that all the time, but you know what? God so loved the church and everybody else that he died for it. 
And here I was persecuting the church, saying, I don't need the church. We do need the church. We not, and I'm not talking about a building, and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning. We need the fellowship of cowboys and cowgirls around us that are going through the same stuff that we're going through, that we can lean on. We're going to have people that are older and wiser, and, and I ain't talking about an age, that have been riding this trail longer, that we can call on and say, hey, man, I'm having trouble with this. Can you, can you point me to where I need to go? You're going to have cowboys and cowgirls that can do that. And then at one time, you're going to have to mentor to somebody else as you grow. Somebody else is going to come along and you're going to be that cowboy that has to give that sound biblical advice. And you know what? I'm not saying that you can't learn that on your own. You can. But you know what? It's really hard to learn something out there. There's a lot of lessons you can learn out there on the horse. But make no mistake about it. The Bible says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And there is something powerful going on in Delta, Colorado, and Sublette County, Wyoming, and Castle Rock, Colorado, and Kiowa, Colorado, and down in Texas, and, and, and just all across this nation, all across the world. We got people watching from Australia right now that are experiencing that type of might and power. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. You know what? A lot of us say, well, you know, I ain't never done that. But I put a lot of stock in being a cowboy. I found myself worth in being a cowboy. If a cowboy did it, I could do it. Now, I might not be as good as, as somebody. You know, I might not be able to rope as good as this fella or, or ride as good as that one or, or be able to spot something wrong in a cow like this guy could or anything like that. But I had a, I had a pretty broad knowledge all the way around it. And that's where I put myself worth was in my knowledge of being a cowboy, of the things that I did, the work that I did on my hands. I've had bulls break my forearm in half. I've been flipped over, stepped on, kicked, mashed, pummeled, mucked out. You name it, I've had had it done to me, but I put all of the stock in being a cowboy. Well, Paul puts all of his stock because he was a religious fella. Just in case you don't know who Paul was, Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He followed the law. He was a preacher of preachers. He would look down his nose at you because he could, because he, it says right here, he said, I obeyed the law without fault. Man, he was self-righteous. He had, he had done everything that he thought God had called him to do. And he says in verse 7, he said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. All of his own works, everything that he had worked so hard for, he had wanted to be a Pharisee because, they, man, they were somebody special. They were the cowboys of the day, man. When a Pharisee walked by, people were like, oh, my gosh, that was one of them Pharisees. They had a lot of clout. They, they were given the best places to eat. They were held in high esteem, and I was doing that with being a cowboy. I thought that that was going to raise me up. And boy, I could go out there, I could rope, I could ride, I could do everything. What do you find yourself worth in? And then he says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I wanted to be a cowboy so bad that I left college, that I left the girl that I thought I loved, and I did love her in, in, in an 18-year-old high school, going into college kind of way. I look back now and realize that I was probably more in lust and more in like and more in manipulation than anything else. And what do I mean by more in manipulation? Because a lot of people don't know what love is. Love is giving selflessly of somebody. And I think most of the time when we say we love people, we do things so that we'll get a reaction out of them. If you do something for somebody to get something out of them, that's manipulation, not love. Love is selfless. You don't do it for any other reason than besides you just trying to give a gift to them with expecting nothing, nothing in return. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
What do you put yourself worth in? Because I gave up everything to go and be a cowboy. But you know what happened? After all of the South Texas romping around, and then I got to go back to the Rocker B, and, and no longer was I, was I Paul's son that was helping his dad on the ranch. They hired me, and I was a hired hand on the Rocker B. And I mean, I worked these... I mean, you see the Rocker B Ranch and Western Horsemen down there. I guarantee you, we wasn't in the Western Horsemen back then. There was nothing as glamorous as it is today being on that big ranch. They have glamorized the cowboy a lot more. We've just worked our butts off. That's all we heard. It was sweated and went home. You know, nobody was like, ah, you work on the Rocker B. They're like, whew, you work on the Rocker B? <laughs> it's good for you, <laughs> not for me, you know. And, um, but I put all of my self-worth and I gave up everything to be a cowboy. Paul says, for his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. You fast forward a number of years, and at a Pat Green concert in Midland, Texas, I met my wife. She come from a real religious family, and I was about as far from religious as you could get. I was a religious cowboy, meaning I claimed to believe in God, but I mean, I claimed to believe in God and raise hell. That's what I did. And then something started growing inside of me. And I think that there's a part of me that recognized it. Because in my mind, I tried to act like that I was somebody and that I was confident and that I could go through life knowing that I'd worked these big ranches and that I had been there and that I had done that and all of this stuff. But inside me, I knew that there was something still missing. And so, you know, Christy had two kids. I've, I've raised them as my own. And if, you, if there is a possible way of loving a child more than I love my two kids, then... I can't imagine that because I do love them just like they're my own. But we started going to church. And I remember several times when we was going to that little Baptist church where my grandmother was a founding member of it. There was like four of us in church singing songs that we'd never heard of before. Nobody would ever heard. My grandmother was a song leader. That woman could find the Baptist hymnal. She could find that one hymn that nobody had ever heard of. They just stuck it in there because they needed a placeholder and she'd want to sing that thing. So you sat there and was like, I'm a, I'm a. you didn't really sing. You just moved your lips. You've done it, you know. <laughs> Acting like you know it. And Chrissy said you can mouth watermelon and it will always look like you know what you're saying. But I mean, even when we started going to church, that old life kept dragging me back and everything like that. And I remember telling Christy one day, I was like, you know what? I, I, I. She got up. She played the piano at the church. She was really good at it. She played the piano at the church and I woke up one morning Last thing I wanted to do on my day off was go to church. So I told her, I was like, honey, I'm not feeling very good this morning. <coughs> feeling a little nauseous. She's like, get your butt up. If you die, we'll have your funeral at church. So I went to church. And I don't know if it was that day, but eventually they said, you know what, let's pray for that cowboy church that's going to start in, in Fort Stockton, which is about 50 miles away. We lived right between on the ranch between Pecos and Fort Stockton. Said, let's pray for this cowboy church. I was like, cowboy church? I ain't never heard of cowboy church. I didn't even say anything about it the first day. And then they kept saying about, oh, we're praying for this cowboy church at starting and everything, blah, blah, blah. Finally, I told Christy, I was like, you know what? Let's, let's, let's go check out this cowboy church because I'm a cowboy. And so we went walking in this cowboy church. And the first thing that we saw was this border collie dog run by and two kids about four years old and six years old swinging a rope trying to head and heal it. Well, I didn't know you could do that in church. I'd have been here a long time ago if I'd known I could have brought my rope and healed people. <laughs> that wasn't the healing that I really thought that they did at church. It brought a whole new meaning. I was going to be a faith healer from the get-go. I mean, I could turn the corners and throw double hawks. Give me that rope, kid. Let me show you how it's done. So now I'm running around the church trying to heal the border collie dog. My wife came from a real religious background. She has got the lightning rod stuck up and over here because she just knows we all going to get struck by lightning and die. 
You can't worship God like this. But God started gnawing on me. He started gnawing on me. And I kind of got that same feeling that I wanted whenever I wanted to go work on those big ranches, that maybe I was meant for something more. Paul talks about that. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through the obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Himself depends on faith. You know what that work of the Holy Spirit did in my life? It transformed me. And I'm here to tell you that if you think that it was... Y'all ever seen that National Geographic deal where they, where they do like the butterflies and stuff, where the butterfly goes into its cocoon, and then a metamorphosis, whatever that big word is, happens, and, and then all of a sudden the cocoon breaks open and this little butterfly flies out and it's all pretty and everything. They don't tell you the crap that's going on inside that cocoon. That caterpillar ain't happy, Bob. I mean, he's like, oh, it hurts. And that's what I went through whenever I started walking away from the world and started following God. It wasn't God that was hurting me. Man, it was, it was the world was so attached to me and I was so ingrained with what the world wanted and everything. And God said, if you follow me, you can't follow the world. So I'm sorry, cowboy, but we're going to have to tear some of this world off of you. The Bible says that we are a new creation created in Christ Jesus that we become something more than we ever dreamed we could. But inside of us, when we were little kids, we thought that when we grew up, we would feel this way and that we would be this person. And somehow, I never got there until I started following Jesus. Hi, this is Lovey Weatherby. I call myself the worst preacher's wife ever, but Kevin calls me his better half. Confused yet? Well, you shouldn't be. All you need to do is go to SaveTheCowboy.com and you can find links to our live church broadcast each Sunday morning. Or you can go back and listen to this service or any others that you missed. Did you know my man is the author of four books? You can find them all, as well as sermons on CD, by clicking on the store link at SaveTheCowboy.com. On behalf of Kevin and Save the Cowboy, thanks for listening. Hey, do you have horses? If you do, then you need to call my friends Rod and Brenda Denning at Hitch and Post Hay. This is where I get all of my hay and Fiona loves it. Call them at 303-324-8217 and tell them that you heard about them from Save the Cowboy and they'll donate 5% of the sale to our mission to reach cowboys and cowgirls. Give Hitch and Post Hay a call for premium quality horse hay at 303-324-8217.